Happy New Year, everybody. Whenever we uh, get the car out of the garage and go up I-44 to I-55 to I-70 and come to Chapel Rock, it's always a great joy and a great privilege. This is one of our favorite places, and you make it so for us. So we are delighted to be with you early on in this sermon series entitled, You Are Here. It's great to be with you. Is it just me? Or um, do you think that some of the GPSs in our phones have made us a little geographically and directionally challenged? We're not quite as good with directions as we used to be. Does anybody even say anymore, well, you just go north three miles to the stop sign, then you go east? Does anybody talk like that anymore? We, we, we pretty much are reliant on our phones, and in many ways, it's probably a good thing. Uh, not too long ago, we had a grandson. Now, not any of Casey and Debbie's kids, because they're brilliant, you understand. But we had a grandson that left his home in Springfield, Missouri, going to Tulsa, Oklahoma. He ended up in central Arkansas. Uh, he's only driven this road this, uh, for years because his family has some lakefront property down uh, almost to Tulsa anyway, and so it was a bit odd. He's not sure how it happened either, but we don't want you to be directionally challenged, and your preacher, our son Casey, doesn't want you to be directionally challenged when it comes to your Bible either. So this series of sermons called You Are Here, you've seen the signs at the mall, You Are Here is intended for the dots to be connected between the holy land of Israel and your holy life. And so last week, uh, 1st of January, you got rolling on this sermon series, You Are Here, by being way up north, near the Syrian and Lebanese border, in a place called Caesarea Philippi. I don't know if you remember the big rock formation picture that Casey showed you, where Jesus says to Simon Peter, You are Peter, Petros, Rocky, and upon this Petra, rock, I will build my church. These things that happened in these places happened for reasons in those places. Today, I want to take you way south to one of the deepest crevices on the face of the planet. It's a place of baptism, specifically Jesus's baptism. I call it a real way of water. I don't even know what an avatar is. But a real way of water is Jesus' baptism at the Jordan Valley, down near the Dead Sea. And there was a reason why John the Baptist was baptizing people, where Jesus shows up to be baptized, at that particular point. In John chapter 3, verse 23, we read these words, that John the Baptist was baptizing at Anon near Salem, ready for the next line, because there was much water there. Well, how much water do you have to have to do a baptism? I guess you need much. I don't know. But that's what he's doing there. And in that particular place, we find Jesus arriving and being baptized. And so today, if you have your Bibles or devices, I'd like you to turn with me to the longest account of Jesus' own baptism in Matthew chapter 3, beginning with verse 13. Matthew 3, verse 13. And so we're going to come at this and read this text, and then we're going to actually go to that place of Jesus' baptism here in the church service today. Chapter 3 of Matthew, verse 13, the longest account of Jesus' baptism. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, and that's be the one that's on the screen for you. If you have a different version, uh, there'll be a word or two maybe different, but the story will be the same. Then Jesus came. What it really means, he just kind of happened on the scene. 
Luke tells us he was about 30 years of age when this happened. But just like John the Baptist happened, Jesus happened. He just came from Galilee to the Jordan. That's about 90 miles. How far did you walk to get baptized? I know people won't cross the street. But Jesus walked 90 miles to do this. To be baptized by him, meaning John the Baptist. Now that's a purpose clause in Greek. That's the purpose for which he walked the miles to be with John. Then it says in verse 14, John would have prevented him. And it's got a little prefix on it, but it's the normal word for hinder. John would have hindered him. John would have deterred him, prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. You see, John the Baptist knew what his baptism was for. And this is an implicit claim by the preparer of the way that basically says Jesus Christ is totally innocent. He doesn't need sins washed away because as the book of Hebrews says, he's been tempted in all points like we are, yet without sin. And so I need to be baptized by you, says John. And do you come to me? And Jesus answered him, let it be so now. That doesn't sound like a command, but it is. Especially in the book of Hebrews, the lettuce patch of the New Testament. Let us do this and let us do that and let us do the other thing. Those are commandments. Let us do it, John. For thus it is fitting, it is proper, it is right for us to, and here's the big phrase for today. I'd like you to go home and talk about this at lunch. Fulfill all righteousness. That's a big phrase. We'll talk about righteousness in a little bit. Then John consented, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, which is an indication that there's going to be some kind of significant revelation here. And he saw the Spirit of God. Well, how in the world do you see the wind? How do you see the Spirit? Luke tells us it came in bodily form as a dove. This text says, the Spirit of God descended like a dove, coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, let's see, we got the Son, we got the Spirit, and we got somebody's voice from heaven. Do you see all the members of the Trinity in this? This is my beloved Son. Stole it right out of Psalm 2 and Psalm 110. My Son, with whom I am well pleased. There's a preacher named Wayne Cordero. He preaches and knocks it out in that tough missionary environment we call Honolulu. And he said, this is kind of interesting because this is the first thing Jesus does in his public ministry. Why is the Father commending him so? He hasn't done anything yet. But it's not about what you do. It's about the relationship you have. So this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Quite a story, don't you think? Quite an event. Would you like to go there? Let's go there. And let me take you there to where we were just about nine weeks ago and give you this little bit of a video and some pictures to go along with so we can kind of feel what happened. This is about eight or nine weeks ago there at the Jordan site where Jesus was baptized. Here we are at the traditional baptism site of Jesus. And uh, last time we were here, I asked Mike, uh, our guide, how uh, far it was from Nazareth of Galilee where Jesus walked. Think about that. He walked here. And he said 90 miles. Wow. And the text in Matthew 3 says he, he came here to be baptized. That's a purpose clause in Greek. That's why he came. 
to be baptized by his cousin, to declare his uh, future ministry in many, many ways. There's a lot of things. Mike's already mentioned some of them to you as to what baptism is about and stuff. I'd like to take kind of a Trinitarian approach for just a minute here, because whether you're Orthodox or Catholic or uh, Evangelical or a mainline Protestant, it really doesn't matter in that sense that we all believe in a triune God, three in one, one in three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the longest account of Jesus' baptism we have is in Matthew 3, 13 to 17. That's the longest account that we have. And you see all three members of the Trinity, same in essence, different in function, involved. The Son walks all the way from Nazareth to here and submits to John's baptism. The Father speaks from heaven and says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And the Holy Spirit in Luke's account even says that he came in bodily form as a dove. So all three members of the Trinity. And interesting enough, when you get to the end of the Gospel of Matthew then, and the Great Commission Statement, that's exactly what you hear repeated. Mm. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So that's what we'll do today. Some of you uh, have spoken to me privately and said, yeah, you kind of remember this maybe before in your life. But some of you said, not really. Not as much as I need to. I need to have a marker, another stake in the ground. This is just water, okay, but, but it's when uh, combined with faith, it is a very powerful, powerful symbol of our salvation and cleansing. And, and so others of you will be reaffirming your faith today to identify with Jesus right where he would have done this. And so we're glad to receive you for that. Let me pray, and then just one by one, if you would kind of come over in, on this side of the rail and come toward us here, we will uh, baptize you. If you all kind of be able to put your right hand out and put your left hand on that right wrist when you come in here and we'll be able to do this we'll do take care of the rest well i live in missouri and we have this thing called the muddy missouri river uh it's real clean compared to that okay and uh, the jordan river flows from the sea of galilee it's much nicer up by the sea of galilee but we found it to be deep this year i had never seen the sea of galilee in our other trips so full They've had good rains the last few years, and so it was full, therefore the Jordan River was higher. And so when we stepped down into that lowest step, we came up to about here. And so we were actually baptizing people on about an eight-inch step, which is a little challenge if you've never done it before. And so anyway, that's where we were. Can I show you a few other pictures? Here is one where we're giving sort of instructions. You can enter this site from the Jordanian side or the Israeli side. This is the Israeli side, and we're coming down preparing for baptism there in the Jordan River. Next slide. You, these are the 16 people that were either reaffirming their faith or some of them being baptized for the very first time, 16 of them, and one of them you probably know. This third slide here is a candidate from Chapel Rock, actually, and as Casey brings him up from the water, you will see the last slide, please. It's none other than Jim Crane right down here on the second row, and uh, Reno and he were involved in our trip and so glad to have them, but I thought you might be interested in that slide. 16 people then. History repeats itself. 16 people six years ago when we were there in 2016. And some of them, once again, reaffirming their faith in the place where Jesus was baptized, others of them being immersed for the very first time. What was kind of interesting about the six years ago at that spot was we had some Africans off to the side. You may have noticed some folks on the other side, the Jordanian side, watching what was taking place. And they were from the country of Kenya, and they were watching us in the ceremony. And Mike came over to me, our guide, and said, Mark, Mark, they think you're a pastor. And he said, um, you know, what you, they wondered if you'd baptize them. And I said, do they speak English? Because my Swahili is a little rough, uh, which I don't speak at all. So anyway, um, they, they, they came in, and it was Jephthah and Julia 
and very good English, very good English. And I said, could you reaffirm your faith for the folks here? And they did so, and we baptized them, and I kind of had a moment, because I thought, here I am, seven time zones removed from my home. It was summertime. And I'm in the Jordan River where Jesus was baptized, and I'm baptizing people from Africa. Sometimes God just gives you one, you know? And it was so glorious. They lived way back in the bush of Kenya. And we got an email. One of our people in Denver that went with us got an email. Said, hey, they would like some baptismal certificates to show their people in Africa that this really happened to them. So I went to the Ozark Christian College bookstore, picked up two certificates, signed them, sent them. It took six weeks for those certificates to get to Jephthah and Julia. But they said, thank you so much for this treat. Oh, there's so much to say today and so many things to uh, involve ourselves concerning the baptism of Jesus. What I'd like to do is kind of work my way back through the New Testament to end on the passage that we read in Matthew. I'd like to give you a little bit of a theological summary of the New Testament writers and this particular great doctrine of baptism, if I could. Uh, eight people wrote your New Testament, uh, perhaps more, but at least eight wrote the New Testament, and six of those eight gave commentary about this very thing. So if we could go to the last guy, Peter, the Apostle Peter, when he's writing to those uh, resident aliens, if you will, of Cappadocia and Pontus and Galatia and Asia, he writes this epistle. He tells us how to live in Babylon when we really got our heads in heaven. How do you live in Babylon like we live today, and yet we're really trying to live in Jerusalem? That's what First Peter's all about, exiles in Babylon. And so he writes to them, and he says something interesting in chapter 3, verse 21. He says that baptism now saves you. Wow. In what sense? I thought we're saved by grace through faith. I thought we're saved by the death of Jesus on the cross. Well, we are. But how does one, in part, participate with that? So he says baptism saves you, which is a stunning phrase. But then he qualifies it. He says, not as a removal of dirt from the body but as an appeal to God for a clear conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. you got to have all that other stuff in there or all what happened to you is you got wet. There has to be the resurrection of Jesus. There has to be this appeal. God, cleanse me by virtue of faith in your grace. That's what this is kind of all about. And it's so wonderful, isn't it, to have your moral umpire that calls the balls and strikes of life to be clean, to be really clean, so uh, Fred and I have a mutual friend that we were in school with named James McCracken. And he used to preach close by us when Casey was just little in Illinois. And uh, one time he went with some of his elders, glad for the elders ordination today. This was wonderful to join you on this day. But he went with one, some of his elders out to Wyoming. And I guess they do a drawing to see who gets to the moose license. My friend James actually got the drawing. And then, lo and behold, he shoots a moose. Don't tell me if miracles ended in the first century, because this is Barney Fife can't get the bullet out of the pocket. Anyway, so he shoots the moose. And proudly displayed on his office wall were these moose antlers. So now, after we've both moved away from Illinois, we ended up in Joplin, he ended up in Muskogee, Oklahoma. He asked me to come down and do a Bible conference there at the Boulevard Church. So I did, went into his office, and there proudly displayed on his office wall the moose antlers from the moose that he had shot. And in the middle of the moose antlers was a Jewish yarmulke, a skull cap. Now, it just looks weird to see Bullwinkle with a Jewish skull cap, you understand? And I said, well, what's with that? And he said, oh, it's quite a story. I said, I'm all antlers, let me have it. And so he said, well, this Jewish guy started coming to Boulevard. 
and uh, he would always wear his skull cap. He always wore his yarmulke. That's not really how you say it, but that's how we kind of translate in English. And anyway, he, he, they said to him after he had come for a while, hey, you know, we don't think of our church building quite like you might think of a temple or a synagogue. You can take that off if you'd like. And they said, oh, no, I'm not, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. Okay, whatever. And so he kept coming. And uh, he kept coming, and they t- said and different people would invite him. You, you want to take your cap off? We don't. Re- no, I must. I'm not worthy. One glorious day, that man stepped forward and he accepted Jesus of Nazareth as his Messiah, gave his life to Christ. And James leaned over to him and said, You want to take your uh, cap off? No, I'm not worthy. So he said, Okay, it's going to get wet. Anyway, they went back to change for the baptistry and uh, baptismal service, and the guy still had his cap on. And James said, you sure you don't want to take your cap off? He said, no, I'm not worthy. And James baptized him into Christ with his cap on. But when he came up from the water, he took his cap off, and he threw it out to the church people. And he said, I'm not unworthy anymore. See, baptism is an appeal for a clear conscience. That's Peter. Now you keep working back in the New Testament, you come to Paul. Peter and Paul, Mary was parking the bus. Peter and Paul. And so Paul says in several passages, more than just the two I've mentioned on the slide, is his, his view that baptism is identification with and in Christ. The prepositions matter. They matter. You're in Christ. You're with Christ. In that marvelous section in Romans 6. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Are you kidding me? Don't you know that we who died, we did so through the baptism that was with Jesus. We were buried with him. We were raised with him to walk in newness of life. It's all about being with Jesus. You run over to Galatians, and it could be Colossians or other passages, but Paul will say, for as many of you as have been baptized in Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. So for him, it's It's identifying with him. I hope you've identified yourself with him in this glorious act of faith. Years ago, and I don't know how our former church in Illinois, we we wove itself into this sermon a little bit, but anyway, it did. But when Casey again was just a little guy, we had a lady named Susan. We'll call her that because that was her name. Anyway, she, she came to the church and she had some musical ability, but she was wanting to accept Christ and be baptized. She was kind of waiting for her husband, Steve, he really wasn't very interested. I tried. Nice guy, just not interested. Finally, one night, we were having a revival service, and we offered the invitation. Here came Susan. And uh, I said, I thought you were going to wait for Steve. I can't wait any longer. Okay. So we get ready for the baptism. We accepted her confession of faith. And while we're backstage waiting for the congregation to quit singing, so we get in the baptistry, she said, now when we get in there, preacher, you put me all the way under. Do you understand? You put me all the way under. I thought, lady, I'm going to stomp on you if I have to. I'll get you down. Don't you? You just trust me. What Susie was really saying was, I want him. I want to be with him in his death, his burial, his resurrection, because baptism is identification with Jesus. If you keep working backwards, you, you find yourself with the Apostle John, the one whom Jesus loved. Wouldn't you like that on your tombstone? the one whom Jesus loved. And John recorded a late night conversation that Jesus had with a guy named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus came to Jesus and said, we know that you've come from God. Nobody can do these miracles unless you, that you do unless God be with him. Jesus read him like a book, just like he reads you this morning. And he said, Nicodemus, 
unless you are born again, you can't even see it. You can't even see my dynamic reign in your heart. That's what he really wanted to talk about because he had spiritually tired blood. There's not enough geritol in the world to solve that problem. How, how, how can a man enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Did you flunk biology? No. Unless one is born of the water and the spirit. By the way, grammatically speaking, those are one thing. I can prove it to you. But grammatically speaking, it's one thing. Water and spirit. He cannot enter the kingdom. So for John... John's view of baptism is baptism is new creation. It's like going back to Genesis and starting over. Can I take you back to Genesis? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was dark and formless and void, and darkness was upon the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved or hovered over the waters, and God said, let there be light. Now, I'm going to think. What did we need for creation the first time? Water, wind, ruach, the Hebrew word for spirit, and word. Water, wind, word. Water, wind, word. That's what we had to have for creation. Guess what it takes to make a new creation in Christ? Same thing. Water, wind, word. So there was a lady in our days in Illinois named Alice. (laughs) There's no nice way to put this. She was a grumpy old farmer's wife. She just was a grouch. That's being kind. She just, her face was fallen and she just was, her husband passed away. They'd had a terrible marriage. And she and her husband were farmers. Now she rented out the ground and she lived right at the corner of the New City Road and Chicken Bristle Road. I'm not making this up. And, uh, you know, now it's called Johnson Road. And I and an elder had gone to see her and said, Alice, we'd sure love to have you come to church. Well, I don't go to church, she said. Well, we'd love to have you sometime. And we left it thinking that was going nowhere. Uh, But, you know, we decided since we were, you know, young and all, we would grow a garden. We'd both grown up with gardens. So we got, Miss Carla went to the store and got some seed potatoes. I said, well, that's not enough. So we planted 30 pounds of seed potatoes that year. And we took off of that garden about six. See, you people in Indiana, you don't understand that where I live in Joplin, Missouri, we have dynamite to garden. That's what we use. Your rich soil that's out here, so wonderful. And so it just produced potato after, I mean, big ones. I laid them out all over the garage floor, put newspaper over them to try to dry them out. I thought we were eating potatoes three meals a day plus midnight snack. I mean, it was crazy. One day I was going by Alice's farm. She had come out to get her mail at the mailbox and she waved me down. She saw me coming by. Preacher, I heard you have some taters. (laughs) Yeah, we got taters all right. She said, where are you going to store them? I said, I don't know. I guess we'll just eat them and give them away. She said, I got a cellar. You want to use that? I said, well, that'd be fine on one condition that whenever you want one, you go get it. She said, well, I don't eat many taters, preacher. I said, Alice, would sure love to have you come to church. Well, she said, I've been thinking about it a little bit. A few weeks later, she showed up. I took one of our elders. We went back and we, we taught Alice and we showed her some film strips. Anybody remember what a film strip is? Yeah. Film strip. Some weeks later, Alice came forward, gave her life to Christ, and was baptized. Her whole countenance changed. She was no longer the grouchy farmer's wife. 
She just was a glow and smiled and was happy. It was a new creation, a witness of it. One day I was going down that road once again, I think going into Springfield, Illinois, to uh, go to the hospital or something, and Sam, Sam farmed her ground. Sam always had a wad of tobacco right here. And he was coming along in his John Deere tractor, he flashed his lights at me. So I slowed down, stopped rolling my window down, and Sam said, what'd you do to Alice? <laughs> I said, I, I didn't do anything to Alice, Sam, but I know who did. And he can do the same for you. Well, she's different. That's all I got to say. He went on down the road. Never did get Sam to come to church. But Alice was a new creation. Isn't that what Paul said? If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If you keep working back, you find yourself to Dr. Luke. And Dr. Luke, of course, writes the, quite a bit of the New Testament. The Gospel of Luke, the longest gospel, and the book of Acts, not short either. And there's a host of passages, but for Luke, I think baptism is acquittal and equipment. Acquittal and equipment. It's the symbol of washed away sins and the equipment of the Holy Spirit. We read it early in our service. Kyle led us in it. Repent and be baptized, they said on the day of Pentecost for the remission of your sins, that you might receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Ghost can become your holy guest. When you invite Christ in, that's what happens. There's this acquittal and there's this equipment. Oh, when you see it, it's so glorious. I don't know what you all think and what you've been praying for with regard to the war in Ukraine, but it's really been a burden for us because we were there in 2012. And our primary ministry was with the Tversky Christian Institute, which is a Bible college in, guess where? Kherson, which was one of the very first cities occupied by the Russians. And they had taken a former communist training camp and turned it into a Bible college. We taught these precious Russian students the Word of God. And during that week, right there on the Dnieper River that comes down from Kiev into the Black Sea, where communist boats would run up and back and forth, now we saw six candidates with their white robes line up for baptism at the youth festival. That's language for church camp. These kids were in their late teens or early 20s. They were all baptized, acquitted, and they were all receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then it was that evening at the service, they lined them up. And just like your elders were up here earlier today, those elders of those churches came behind those kids and put their hands on them before they received their first communion. And to watch that campus be destroyed by the Russians, where now it'll have to be rebuilt that Kherson has been taken back by the Ukrainians. It was a little much for us. Acquittal and equipment. If you keep pressing it back, you go to John Mark. I was named after this gospel writer. Tradition says that Mark was stump-fingered. Um, these would never palm a basketball, Fred. Never, ever, ever. So maybe I was rightly named. I don't know. But anyway, John Mark, everything in Mark is so different. Jesus is the unsettling Messiah. Nobody gets Jesus in Mark. It's just, I mean, his family didn't get him. His religious leaders didn't get him. The crowd didn't get him. His disciples didn't get him. He's a mystery man. And when Jesus was baptized in Mark's gospel, the Bible says the heavens were split open, schizo, like the word for divorce. 
And when he, Jesus, after his baptized, went out in the wilderness and was with the wild beasts. Mark's the only gospel that tells you that. But the point is that Jesus was already trying to tame creation and bringing it back under the will of his Father. So he's with the wild beasts. I think Mark's view of baptism is this, that baptism is a violent solidarity with the death of Jesus. See, there's the smell of death in this word of baptism. I could talk to you about the Jewish writer Josephus and how references to death in relationship to references to baptism that Josephus uses. So here you have this idea of a violent uh, solidarity with Jesus in his death. There's a very interesting passage later in the book. It's referred to on the slide, Mark 10, 38. The disciples, James and John, have come to Jesus to ask for chief seats in the kingdom of God. Matthew's account says they brought their mother. Well, wasn't that sweet? And they asked for chief seats, and Jesus says, well, it's not about chief seats. It's about a towel and a basin and water and washing feet. And then he says, are you able to drink the cup? Now, cup is a loaded word in the Bible. Are you able to be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized? Oh, you see, baptism for Mark is this violent solidarity with the death of Jesus because baptism says death to self. Somewhere on the other side of the baptistry, you decided somebody else would call the shots in life. That's what was decided. The Billy Graham of South America is a fellow known as Juan Carlos Ortiz. And when he baptizes somebody, do you know what he says? I kill you in the name of Jesus. I kill you in the name of Jesus. Because that's exactly what it is. But when we come to our text today, and we've worked our way backwards to Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 to 17, I think you really see that what this is, Matthew's view, is it's obedience to the triune God. It's obedience to the triune God. In the video, tried to connect the dots between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and the commission statement of chapter 28, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. And what do you do with them? You baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So it's obedience to a triune God. Do you know if you have a red letter edition Bible, this is the first words in red in Matthew's gospel. Now it's not the first words that Jesus said. We know that from the incident when he was 12 years old. <laughs> I don't know if your 12-year-olds talk to you like this, but our 12-year-olds didn't talk like this. But Jesus says to his mother, Mama, I must be about my father's business. Wow. At age 12, already conscious. But the first thing in Matthew's gospel that Jesus says is, Nope, 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 John, God's to do it to fulfill all righteousness. What's involved in that phrase? Can I just give it to you in a sentence? I know that Casey usually gives you the big idea. So here's the big idea. It's three words long. Here it is. Baptism, according to Jesus, fulfills righteousness. Baptism fulfills righteousness. There's so much in that phrase. In fact, I got to take my preacher's knife and just kind of slice down through each of the words. So can I just say a word about baptism? Here, I've used this word all this time together and I've not defined it. But it comes from a root that means depth. And it means to plunge or dip or immerse. That's what it means. Uh, my father, who just died at age 95 back in September, he was talking to a lady of Swedish descent one day. 
He was trying to get her to see this idea of immersion as opposed to other methods. There are other Christians throughout the world that practice this differently than we do. But anyway, he was trying to get her to see this. And uh, so uh, dad was getting nowhere. And finally he said to her, ma'am, do, do you have a Bible in your native tongue? And she says, yeah. W would you go get it, please? She said, yeah. And so she went and got their Bible. And dad said, now you turn to this passage that we've been talking about. And you read that in your own native tongue. I won't understand it, but you read it in your own native tongue. So she read through the text, and Dad said, when she got for the, to the word for baptism, her eyes got as big as saucers. And she said, well, what do you know about that? And I'm not being fun. I'm not making fun. This is how she spoke. And then she said, it's the word we use for dunking the donut. <laughs> it's the word we use for dunking. Did the translators do well? Yeah, the translators did pretty good. It's the word we use for dunking baptism. And then fulfills. I guess you know that your Bible comes to you like a good layered dessert or a good layered salad. Fulfills this word, plerao, is used in Matthew. Jesus fulfills the prophets. Jesus fulfills the law. Jesus fulfills the scriptures. Jesus fulfills the promise of God. Just trace it in Matthew. He's always fulfilling things. He's bringing things to fruition. And that's exactly what you have here. When I was younger in ministry in my earlier days, I talked about the discontinuity of the Testaments. The Old Testament's law, the New Testament's grace. Well, true, but so naive. In later years of just constantly reading the Bible, I thought there's not discontinuity, there's continuity. This is one unfolding story. And what you have here at the place where you just saw a few minutes ago, that's where the Israelites crossed over the Jordan to take Jericho. That's where Elijah passed the ministry to Baton to Elisha. And Elisha took Elijah's garment, slapped the Jordan, and it parted. History is repeating itself from the Red Sea in Egypt to the Jordan River, layer upon layer upon layer. God doing what he's doing with great consistency. And then there's this wonderful word, righteousness. Don't import the Apostle Paul. Don't just leave Paul where Paul is. Just let Matthew use his own way. Because in righteousness, you have justice and mercy and a lot of things. In fact, the third characteristic of our God beyond love and holiness is righteousness. And righteousness is a courtroom term that means conforming to the standards of God. Here's the point. God the Father told John the Baptist to baptize in the wilderness of Judea. He did it. That was a command of heaven. Had Jesus not obeyed that command, he would have... You finish the sentence. That's why he says, no, no, we got to do this, John, because this is a way of conforming my faith in the Father, which becomes the saving thing for righteousness. I really think our son Casey probably got at that, not this last trip, but six years ago when we were at that same spot. And we're getting ready to have, once again, 16 people, as I told you, like we had this time. And uh, Casey did his own recommitment to Christ, and he kind of nailed it for what I'm really trying to say today when I say baptism fulfills righteousness. It's not the only thing, but it's something. And listen to this video of your preacher six years ago. His faith as well, he would like to be baptized a little different way in light of his first baptism, which I sort of remember. <laughs> and um, I still believe that Jesus is who he said he is, that he did what the Bible said he did, and that he's coming again. And I want to be faithful until that day comes. 
And so for me, this is uh, an act of resubmission, submitting again his lordship. In my first baptism, I was buried and raised. And in this one, I want to kneel in submission and go forward um, to demarcate the two, but also to signify uh, what I'm, the commitment I'm making to submit once again my whole life to Jesus as the one and only Son of God. Come forward with them. Yeah, like that. Yeah, so you can have Yeah. All right, based, Casey, Jonathan, Scott, based on your confession then and reaffirmation, you're being baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I guess our guide moved me over so I wouldn't conk his head on the railing. But did you hear what he said? Want to kneel in submission. Whether it's a burial, a kneeling, other churches practice other forms. Really, baptism fulfills righteousness only because Jesus has made a way through grace for us to participate by faith in his activity. Let me close with a person who's been a mentor of mine, though I never had him for class. I think I've read every book he ever wrote, <laughs> but it's a man that made a big impact on me. His name is Dr. Fred Craddock. And this is what he says. Before I married and served in a little mission in the Appalachians, I moved down to a place on Watts Bar Lake between Chattanooga and Knoxville, a little village. It was the custom in that church at Easter to have a baptismal service. My church immerses, and it was held this baptismal service in Watts Bar Lake on Easter evening at sundown. Now, out on the sandbar, I, with the candidates for baptism, moved into the water. And then, after the baptism, they moved across to the shore where the little congregation was gathered, singing around a fire and cooking supper. They had constructed little booths for changing clothes with hanging blankets. And as the candidates moved from the water, they went in and changed clothes and went to the fire in the center. Finally, last of all, I went over, changed clothes, and went to the fire. Once we were all around this fire, this was a ritual in their tradition. Glenn Hickey, it was always Glenn, introduced the new people, gave their names, where they lived, and their work. The rest of us formed a circle around them while they stayed warm at the fire. The ritual was that each person in the circle then gave her or his name and said this, my name is, and if you ever need somebody to do washing and ironing, my name is, if you ever need anybody to chop wood, my name is, if you ever need anybody to babysit, my name is, if you ever need anybody to repair your house, my name is, if you ever need anybody to sit with the sick, my name is, if you ever need a car to go to the town, and around the circle they went. Then we ate and had a square dance. I don't know where that is in the Bible, but anyway. And, and then, at the time they knew, I didn't know, Percy Miller with thumbs in his bib overalls would stand up and say, time to go. And everybody left. He lingered behind and with his big shoe kicked sand over the dying fire. And my first experience of that, he saw me just standing there, still looking. And he looked at me and said, Craddock, folks don't ever get any closer than this. In that little community, they have a name for that. I've heard it in other communities too. In that community, their name for that is church. They call it church. I think probably you can conclude this message today with the invitational appeal, and that's simply to say, if this is not your story, 
that you relive every Lord's Day when you take communion. It needs to be your story today. And when I took my communion today, I did what I always do, and I thank God that on February the 4th, 1962, at 2.30 in the afternoon at First Christian Church in Council Bluffs, Iowa, God saved a little boy from a life of sin and judgment. He can do that for you today. You don't need to leave. You, don't let the, you need to let any of the rest of the year go by. This is very appropriate for us to talk about this. Because uh, two days ago, our Orthodox friends celebrated Christmas. Do you know what they call the Sunday after Christmas? The Festival of Baptism. That's in church history, my friends. So today, if you are here and have not made this commitment by grace through faith, we encourage you to do it. And any other decisions that you want to make public, will you do so today? Let's stand together as a congregation. Let's sing. We'll be right here in the front to greet you. If you're online, you can talk to us at the church. If you need to go to the Next Steps room and ask for help about what your next steps are, that's available to you as well. Let's sing. Sing.